Have you been blessed this morning already? I know I have. You know, one thing that has always amazed me is just to see how the sovereignty of God plays out in real life. And to see how sometimes we, we plan things one way and then God just turns things and goes a completely different direction. And he works things out even better. Uh, you know, when I was planning out the, the, to, the, the time together with you to work through Joshua, I had no idea that this week would line up perfectly with the missionaries that we invited. Isn't that amazing? Today we'll be talking a little bit about Rahab. And we see a little glimpse of the gospel in Joshua chapter 6. So let's go back to, the, to Joshua chapter 6 as we continue our journey with Joshua. We've now entered what, we, what we're calling the conquest phase. They've come out of Egypt. They've gone through the desert phase. They've crossed the Jordan River, and now they're in, uh, into uh, Jericho. And last week we talked about the, the defeat of Jericho. But I want to look at a couple of things that, that came out of that. I remember last week we really we focused on three things. We saw the supernatural power of God bringing down the walls of Jericho. We also talked about the unnatural ways of God, that he did it in, in a way that none of us would have thought of that as some human strategy for taking down the walls of Jericho. But God does things in his own ways. His ways are always higher. And we also saw the necessity of obedience on our part. It wasn't uh, after six days that the walls came down. It wasn't until there was complete obedience that God brought down the walls Jericho. But in the midst of this story, we see several things that come to the the surface that have to do with salvation. It's like a a miniature story of the gospel found right here in in Joshua chapter 6, in the destruction of all things of of Jericho. The the Jericho narrative sheds light on some of the deeper issues and and, uh, questions even that we might have about salvation. See, to many people, salvation just seems like a contradiction, just in the nature of what it is. In fact, uh, here's a sign that I believe was taken just outside of Sleeping Bear Dunes. Do you see a problem with this sign? Okay. Do not enter. Enter only, right? It's, it's a contradiction. Here's a sign that's even worse that I found online. Okay, so you can't turn left, can't turn right, can't go backwards, can't go forwards. What are you supposed to do? The only thing that would make this even better would be a no standing sign under there. What can you do? They can't exist uh, together. Or uh, you've probably seen this before. The, the red button on the left says, the blue button is true. Then the blue button says, the red button is false. Now, now think about this. Uh, if, the re- if, the, if the red button's true, let's start with it. Then, then the blue button is true. But then if the blue button is true and it says the red button is false, well, if the red button is false, then that must mean the blue button is false. Go back and forth. It, they can't exist. One button can be right, or the other button can be right, but they cannot be right at the same time, right? And a lot of times, I think people, when they think of the gospel, they, they, they have the same problem trying to, to figure out how justice and mercy work hand in hand. Because when you think about it, justice is all about what? It's all about deserving. It has everything to do with deserving. For example, if someone has a court case and a person is, is uh, say, guilty and the judge lets them go, do we say justice was served? No. Or vice versa, if someone is innocent. I read uh, recently about a guy who was innocent. He was in jail for over a decade, and then they find evidence that proved that he was innocent. Do we say justice was served? 
No, why? Because justice, in our minds, has everything to do with deserving. But then, on the same side, mercy. Does mercy have to do with deserving? Can you earn mercy? By definition of what mercy is, you can't really earn it. It's, it's getting what is not deserved. But is God just? I, there should be more answers to that. Is God just? Yes, he is. He's just. At the same time, is God merciful? There should be some more yeses to that, too. Come on, people. Let's wake up this morning. Yeah, is the guy merciful? Thank God he is, right? Because if he weren't merciful, we would all be in a lot of trouble. So how do these things work work together? Well, we see this right in the story of of Joshua chapter 6, right in the story story of uh, of Jericho. So let's look at uh, uh, Joshua chapter 6. I just want to read verse 17 to get us started. We see it in seed form here. We'll see it expounded a little bit later in the chapter. Verse 17 reads, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Here we see both concepts. We we see the concept of justice and how it's applied to whom? To Jericho in general. We see God's justice taking place, but we also see mercy as it is applied to Rahab. And uh, the picture here is of the window with the, the scarlet cord attached. We talked a little bit about the scarlet cord this morning. And we'll talk a little bit more about it today. Right now. But we begin to see how these uh, work t- together. Let's look at what, what we learn about justice. Go back to verse uh, 17a. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. Uh, so we see that God had, had d- determined the destruction that was going to take place. For Jericho. One thing, the first thing we learn about justice in this story is that Jericho was doomed for destruction. Uh, it was destined for destruction. That what it, that's what, it, what doomed means. It's, it's the destiny that is doomed. Now, this sounds like, boy, Pastor Dave, not a very uplifting message so far. Right? That's why we, we'll get to the next part in a few minutes. But we have to understand justice before we really understand and appreciate what mercy is all about. Isn't that true? We have to see that they were, Jericho was doomed for destruction. Let's see how that plays out in the rest of the chapter, verse, starting verse 20. So, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, donkey with the edge of the sword. I don't know about you, but the, but, but when the first time I read that, and I'm thinking of it through the, the story, and, and I get the image in my mind of what's happening to Jericho, and the first question that comes to my mind is, is why? I mean, it doesn't, doesn't seem fair, this peaceful little town, minding their own business, and, and God destines them for doom. Anyone else struggle with that? Okay, uh, there, there, I'm sure there are some. I see some heads shaking, yes. I mean, that... that uh, that we, we must shake our heads, but a couple things we need to understand about God's justice. In Deuteronomy 9, verses 3 through 5, this is what we read. It says, Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. Let me just stop there for a moment. You see the imagery that, that God is giving as he describes himself to the people of Israel. This is in Deuteronomy. He's giving them the law before entering the land, and God describes himself as a consuming fire. Goes on to say, he will destroy them and bring them down before you 
So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Verse 4, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. You see what God's doing here? He's telling Israel, it's not about your righteousness. It's not about deserving. He starts off with that. Because you have to understand that when, when you're talking about justice. But the reason that he was going to do it was because of the wickedness of the people. He goes on in verse 5. It is not because of your righteousness or the righteousness of your heart that you go in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you. And that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. has nothing to do with deserving. It has everything to do everything in the world to do with God's mercy on his people and his justice on those who deserved it. What we have, one thing we understand is that they were wicked people. In fact, uh, we uh, read in uh, verse uh, 16 of uh, Deuteronomy 20, but the cities of these peoples which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain uh, alive. Nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall utterly destroy them. The Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God commanded you. Does that seem strong? Does that seem strong? I think it does. But we have to understand this is the justice of God. And you see that, uh, that they, des they deserved it. But it goes on in verse 18. Look what it says. Lest, this is the same sentence, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods and you sin against the Lord your God. Even in God's justice, what was the motivation behind it? He could see the future. He could see it, and he thought, these people will, will change the direction, the flow of influence. And it's the people of Israel go in, into the promised land. If they let these people live, he knew what would happen. In fact, when we get later on into the, into the book of Joshua, we're going to see a couple times where they didn't obey. And then you only have to jump forward one book to the book of Judges to see what happened and how those people did turn the hearts of God's people away from God. And so as we look at this, we realize that we, Jericho was doomed for destruction. Jericho deserved it because it was evil. Um, but then I asked myself, well, why did God consider them so evil? I mean, what did they do? This, I'm gonna, I'd like to take us to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. 23, because this, I think, will help us understand the mind of God a little bit when it comes to justice and help us appreciate our mercy even more. It says in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Let me just stop there for a moment. What's godlessness? Let's take the word apart for a moment. The first word is God. What's the next word? Less. What that means is you take God out of the equation. You're subtracting God from the, the equation. Oftentimes, I think we focus on the second word, which is wickedness. That's when we're doing things that are wrong. We're doing things that harm people. We are hurting people. And oftentimes, we think of those as the bad sins. But what's the first thing that God mentions when he talks about his wrath? It's the godlessness. It's taking God out of the equation. How many of us are guilty of that? Where we, we live as if God did not exist. Right now, we see that happening in our culture more and more. In fact, you're not allowed to, to 
put God back into the equation. You can get in trouble in some schools just for carrying a Bible, right? You can get in trouble for praying in public. You can get in trouble for those things. It's becoming more and more godless. What does God say about that? The wrath is coming for the godlessness. It goes on to say, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. It goes on in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal human beings and reptiles and, or birds and animals and reptiles. What do they do? They, they exchange the worship of the creator and start worshiping the creation. That's what it is. And you know what? We're guilty of that. If you and I were alive in this time period, we probably would be the people in Jericho, right? In fact, in Jericho, if you... If you Study all the way from Genesis 11 right down to the people of Jericho, the uh, descendants of, of Herod. Uh, not the Herod that you read of in the New Testament, but Herod, and, um, uh, who, whose name means moon worshiper. And he started a moon worshiping cult. In fact, the word Jericho, if you look at the etymology of the word itself, it means moon city. And I don't know if they were all moon worshippers. I don't know, but you know what? They, they worship the creation instead of the creator. Isn't that true? one thing we learn about God from this is that since God is just, he must punish evil. Back in uh, New, uh, Numbers 14, 18, this is what we read. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in, in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Even in this context, he talks about, we see mercy in this context too, the forgiving and so on. But we see the justice of God that he does, he cannot let sin go unpunished. He cannot let sin go unpunished. Well, how has this become a picture of salvation for us? Well, it, this is just a small narrative, but it really shows us the big picture is that the world is doomed for destruction, is it not? And we can go on and say the world deserves it because it is evil. Are we godless? Is this world godless? Yes, we take God out of the equation all of the time. And so God is just, so he must punish evil. I'll tell you what, I am so glad that the story doesn't stop here. Aren't you? Because when I think about this, I realize, you know what? By nature, I'm godless. If it wasn't for what Christ did for me, if it wasn't for God taking the first step, there's no way I could respond to him. Amen? And, uh, and, uh, and so I'm glad that the, that's not the end of the story. But look at the second half of verse 17. I'll read the first half just to remember the context. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to the destruction it and all who are in it. And here we get to the second half. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in her house. Because she hid the messengers that we sent. Here we begin to see the other side of the story. The important side of the story for us. And that's the side of mercy. Now let's look at how it got uh, played out in the story starting in verse 22. So if we uh, skip ahead to verse 22. Through, through 25 we read this. But Joshua had said to, two, uh, said to the two men who had spied out the country. 
Go into the harlot's house, and from there, bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out uh, all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city that uh, they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. And so she dwells in Israel to this day because she had the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Here we begin to see the mercy side of the story. First thing we, we, we realize is that Rahab did not receive the punishment that she deserved. Was she a part of Jericho? Was she a, a God worshiper for all of her previous history? No. What was she? What was her occupation? She was a harlot. Do we think, do we lift up that occupation? Oh, but she was this self, selfless person. No, she had a tainted past. Did she not? But mercy is about helping people with a tainted past. We've had two examples of, of that today. Um, but really, if we're honest, we have 375, 395-ish somewhere examples of that if we're saved. Amen? We have to realize that if we don't consider ourselves the Rahabs of the story, then we're the people of Jericho. That's the choice that we have, is it not? So before you condemn the Rahabs of the world, remember, you are Rahab. Think about that for a moment. Because too many times I think we, we, we hear about uh, the, the sinners of the world and we don't have compassion on them. I call this the Jonah complex, right? And we, why? Because we think of ourselves as better than the, than the sinners. But Jesus condemned that time and time again. It's condemned in the book of, of Jonah and really we see it here. It has nothing to do with deserving. But she did not receive the punishment that she deserved. In fact, it said... Verse 25, and Joshua spared Rahab the harlot. What does that mean? She did not have to die along with the other people. We also find that Rahab uh, did receive the same blessings that were intended for Israel. Notice in verse 25, it doesn't just say that she uh, was spared. But what does it go on to say? It says, and so she dwells in Israel to this day. This is a very strong language, especially in Hebrew. The idea that she dwells in Israel to this day literally means she was assimilated into Israel. Does that mean she was a visitor or a guest or a second-class citizen? No. She became Israel. She became an Israelite. We find this all through the New Testament, too. A Jew is not a Jew outwardly. That's what the New Testament says, right? Why? Because it's not about physical bloodline. It's not about who who she was, because she was just like Jericho. But because of her faith, we see something completely different. And now she becomes part of Israel. So much so that God, when he was, when he was, he was preserving his line in which he was going to present Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, when he was going to present Jesus Christ, what, 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 did, what did he do? He included Rahab in the bloodline. Why? She wasn't the Jew. Yes, she was. Yes, she was. Not by birth, but by faith. And that's what really makes a difference. Amen? She received the spies. This was an act of faith. 
She didn't work for salvation. She didn't deserve it. In fact, if we, if we were basing it on deserving, then, then she, could, she could have died with any one of the people in the city of Jericho. But she had faith. She had that faith. And there's some applications for us when we think about it. You know, if you're, if you're here today and you're not saved, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're just checking out what Christianity is all about, I've got some great news for you. You, you should never let your past keep you from experiencing God's mercy today. It doesn't matter what your past is. We've heard that this morning in multiple, in multiple contexts. It doesn't matter what your past is. We have the opportunity to start over every day, do we not? I like the way Becky put that this morning, where we can rewrite our story every day with a pen dipped in the ink of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And, we, and we have that available to us today. If you're saved, and there's some applications that come out of this too, number one is don't devalue or undervalue the potential of any sinner. I mean, I'm sure that the, the Israelites could have said, well, this is just the harlot, right? Just the harlot. They had no idea that she was going to be the great, great, who knows how many great grandmothers of Jesus Christ, the Savior of not just Israel, the Savior of the world. They had no idea what, what God was going to do with her. And, and, uh, and so do not devalue or undervalue the potential of anyone. I believe that if we really grasped the message of Rahab, that we would see more and more Christians get involved in the ministries like the ministries we just heard about today. They would not have a problem finding people to help with the building or to help counsel or to help uh, in one way or another. They wouldn't have a problem fighting for, uh, for the finances to do what they're doing. Why? Because we would value these souls like we should. We would see them as as the important treasures that God sees them. Why? Because we would recognize that we were Rahab first. Right? If you've experienced the salvation, then, then you are Rahab. You've been there. If you truly understand. And if you think, uh, well, I'm no Rahab, come on. Well, then you're probably someone else in the story. I'll let you draw the conclusions there. Right? Let you draw that conclusion yourself. So how does this relate to... Uh, to the gospel now, as we look at uh, uh, as we look at this, we um, we, can, we see a couple of things. First, we see that justice and mercy can only coexist if there's an outside source that balances the scales. Because in all in the story, we still see that it has nothing to do with deserving, and we see that Rahab didn't do anything to deserve it. But we see that there's, there's got to be something else that balances the scales. In the story, in Joshua 6, that was symbolized by what? A scarlet cord. It was symbolized by a scarlet cord. And we see this scarlet cord show up all through the tapestry of Scripture. We finally find it fulfilled in what? Fulfilled in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ on the cross shed his blood for us. That's what it's all about. And that's what it boils down to. It's not about deserving. It's still just. Why? Because every sin is paid for. It has to be paid for. God cannot let sin go unpunished. He can't do it. Why? Because he's just. But he can make sure that the person who pays for it is himself. That's mercy. And we can accept that mercy simply by believing. If you try to earn it, it destroys the value, doesn't work. If you try to earn salvation, 
good luck. You know, that'd be like the Jericho, the people of Jericho trying to, to win the battle when the walls fall down. It just doesn't work. But if you accept it by faith, regardless of your past, regardless of what you've been through, then God has mercy that is available. You don't have to die. You don't have to suffer the consequences. And he's going to give you the, the blessings and benefits that you've never deserved. Isn't that awesome? But that's great news today. What about you? What about you? A couple questions. I just want you to think through in your own mind. If salvation had anything to do with deserving, what problems would that cause for you? Just think about that for a moment. If salvation had anything to do with deserving, what problems would that cause for you? Where would you be? What would be your destiny if you got what you deserved? So what do you do we deserve? By nature, we're godless. We take God out of the equation. E e even with salvation, oftentimes we, we forget. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 we talked about last week. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes we fail in that. Why? Because we're taking God out of the equation in our own minds. So we think, wow, what do I really deserve? So I want to ask today, have you ever trusted in Christ to receive this undeserved mercy? Maybe you thought you had to earn it, or you thought, well, I've been pretty good. I haven't done any of the bad things, all the things that we call wicked. But today, maybe you're realizing, but I have been godless. I haven't had God in my heart. I haven't had uh, Jesus Christ. I've never asked him to be my Lord and Savior. I don't want you to leave today without knowing for sure that you can have eternal life. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come talk to me. I'll, I'll send you to someone who can show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you have salvation. Permanent, everlasting salvation. Never have to worry about that again. How about for those who, who know that they're saved, I want to ask you this question. What undeserved blessings do we inherit if we have trusted in Christ? Actually, think about that. Not just what have we escaped. What has God given us? Eternally, we'll have heaven. What has he given us? He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us purpose. He's given us me. You list those things in your mind. Appreciate those things that God has given to us. And I want to ask, want you to ask, how might you be abusing that mercy? Think about that. How might you be abusing that mercy? For some, I think we hoard salvation. That's the Jonah idea. Jonah thought, oh, Lord, please have mercy on me when he was in the belly of a fish. Right? Have mercy on me. But then when God was ready to apply that same mercy to the wicked people in Nineveh, what did he say? Oh, Lord, this is why I didn't even want to come. Because I knew you were a merciful, compassionate God. And I knew you were going to do this. And these were the enemies. He wanted to hoard salvation. He wanted to keep it to himself because he had in his mind this view that they deserved it. They do deserve it. But when we have that attitude, we don't realize that we deserve it too. Right? So we can abuse God's mercy salvation, not sharing it with other people because they're sinners, forgetting that we're sinners, that we are already have. Or maybe it's just taking sin lightly. Like, well, okay, you know, Lord, thanks for the gift. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy that gift of grace. It's like if someone invites you out to eat and they say, here, I'm paying. And you say, oh, then let me change my order. <laughs> right? Have you ever done that? I was going to get the hamburger, but you know, that steak looks really good, right? No, we don't do that. We we don't trample on grace. We appreciate it. 
We, live, we don't live life independently of God. And so I want you to think, how have you been abusing grace? And if you've abused grace in one way or another, I want you to have an opportunity to break from your seat. If you want to come forward here, you can kneel and pray and just confess that to the Lord. Because it's all about what he's done. It has nothing to do with what we've done. Isn't that a blessing? But let, let's, let's stand together and we'll pray together. Lord, I thank you for your gift of salvation. Lord, I call it a gift because you call it a gift. It's not something we can earn or deserve. Lord, there might be someone in this room that they're carrying a lot of weight because in their heart of hearts they know they're guilty of things that have offended you. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts right now so that they would know that there is nothing in their past that you will hold against them if they trust in you and put their faith in you because Jesus Christ already paid for every single one of those sins. Pray that no one would leave today carrying that guilt. And Lord, I also pray for those here who know you. Lord, we, we have experienced your blessings day in and day out. But in our heart of hearts, if we're honest, there are times we have not valued others because of their sinfulness. We, we haven't seen them as the treasure that you see them. Worth dying on the cross for. And sometimes we, we think they're not worth going across the street to talk to them sacrificing a little bit of time to go serve them. Or like Jonah, thinking that people deserve or convict us of that, that it's wrong. And we abuse your grace. We abuse your mercy when we do that. So Lord, today we thank you for your mercy and we pray for the wisdom to be grateful for it and to not abuse your mercy but to spread it out and to share your mercy with Share your mercy with the Rahabs of this world, remembering that we 